Today we're continuing in week eight of our series called Divine Selfies, where we've been looking at snapshots and little reference points of who God is, his nature and character, by his divine revelation of his names, where we see different aspects of his character. We've looked at three primary or foundational names of God and their different compound names, starting with Elohim, Adonai, and Yahweh. But Elohim reveals that we serve a powerful creator God. We serve Adonai, who is the king, the rightful authority over our life, who is above all and is all. We also looked at Yahweh, which we use the transliteration of the English for Jehovah. He is really the revealed self-personal name of God, and he is a close God. He's an intimate God. He is a God who is from the verb of the Hebrew, meaning I am, to be. There's never a time that God wasn't, and there never will be a time where God will not be. He is always present in our circumstances. And we learned from a previous message in Pastor Chuck's message that he's talked about Yahweh as being the I am solution for our lives. God wants to be the solution for our lives. He is not just high and lifted up and exalted. He is the close one. He is the intimate God who comes in the midst of our struggle and reveals himself as saying, I am the solution to your life. And today there is no greater way of showing that God, Yahweh himself, is personally involved in your life in the compound name that we'll look at today. That compound name is Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. Now, this name is absolutely critical to our faith. It is critical to the theology of our life and our understanding of what God has done for us, what God is doing for us, and what God one day will redeem in our lives. So there is no greater truth that we need to grasp hold of today than this name, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness, because it's critical, absolutely foundational to our faith. And so today we're going to be looking at the book of Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles or if you've got your smartphones, you can go ahead and make your way back there. Jeremiah is one of the Old Testament prophets. Give you some time. If you have to look in the accordance, there's no shame, okay? If you've got your smartphone, it automatically pulls it up for you, right? For Jeremiah, we'll be looking at Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. And in the book of Jeremiah, this name, this self-revealed name of God, Jehovah Sekenu, is the only place it's found in all of the Old Testament in all of scripture. And it's revealed to us, I want to give you a little bit of background. Jeremiah is a prophet called by God to speak only what God wants his people to hear. He's speaking to the southern kingdom. If you remember, David had a united kingdom, Solomon. It was just called Israel. But they had arguments, they had disputes, and they split into the northern kingdom, which we call Israel, and the southern kingdom, which we call Judah. Now, Judah is who Jeremiah is speaking to. Now, Israel, unfortunately, the northern kingdom, has already long since been disobedient to God. From the moment they separated from the, the, the United Kingdom, they began to do everything that was right in their own eyes. The kings did not follow the, the countenance of David and his law and God's will for their lives. And they were sent into exile by the Assyrian nation to come. God allowed them to be swept off the face of the earth and taken into exile. Now, Judah, you think they would have watched their northern neighbors, amen? They would have watched their northern neighbors and go, hey, You know, they didn't follow God. Their kings rebelled against God and didn't do what David did. So do you think we might learn something from that? But unfortunately, 
Judah decides to follow in the footprints of the northern kingdom. Their kings begin to rebel against God. They're selfish. They're self-centered. They begin to serve only themselves, and they walk totally away from God and his righteousness. And so Jeremiah gives them a proclamation that you, because of your sin and your unrighteousness and your unwillingness to submit to the true Lord and God of all, you too will be sent into exile. You will be conquered by a nation called Babylon. You'll be wiped off the face of the earth, and you will no longer be a kingdom here in Jerusalem. And so this is some really bad news, isn't it? Jeremiah is what we call the weeping prophet because he never got any good news to speak, right? But today, there's actually one or two verses in all of Jeremiah where he begins to speak hope in the midst of total destruction and despair. In the midst of all of this conquest, we see the prophet proclaiming a future, future prophecy of restoration. And this is where this self-revealed name of God will be given to us. We start reading in chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will be dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Sikhanu. So let's do a little breakdown of this passage. First of all, behold, the days are coming. We have to understand that this is a future tense prophecy. This is something that is not going to happen in their time frame for who initially hears this prophecy. They're being told about a promised coming king, but they will not experience this coming king. It's very important for us to understand that they still will be subject to the consequences of their sin. Sometimes in our lives, we believe that when we call upon God to forgive us and to step into our trauma and our chaos and our trial, that all of our circumstances will wipe away, right? But there's a very important truth that we can learn from all of the Old Testament is this. Even though the consequences of our sin may not be removed or remedied today, there is still redemption and a possibility of restoration that is coming despite that fact. So even though the consequences of our sin may be removed or remedied today, victory and redemption is still a possibility. So behold, the days are coming, he says, that there will be a king that will raise up. This will be the sign. There's no timeline. He doesn't give us a time, a time date, does he? He doesn't say, okay, in January of 2000 and whatever, this is going to take place. He just tells us there's days are coming and this will be the sign. There will be a new king There'll be a new king that will be risen up from the lineage of David. And it's important to note that this prophecy is very important that it's going to be in the line of David. It's also important to note that this may have shocked the hearers of Jeremiah. Because immediately in the previous chapter, in Jeremiah chapter 22-30, God had promised that no longer would the line of David succeed. Because of Coni, one of the kings, and his evilness in his nature, God said, that's it. I'm done. Remember the promise I made to David. As long as your heirs walk in my ways, I will be faithful and you will never not have someone on the throne. But Coni, in Jeremiah chapter 22, right before we hear this verse, behold, the days are coming while I will rise up a king in the land of David. You can imagine the hearers going, what? I thought you just said that there will no longer be a king in the line of David on the throne because of the evilness of the kings of Judah. But what he wants them to understand is this is not any ordinary king. 
This branch, sometimes in your interpretation, your translation, it may descend it. A descendant of David will be risen up. It's a promise that will still be fulfilled. It'll be a branch that will be coming out of a tree that's been completely wiped out. Have you ever cut back your trees? Does anybody got crate myrtles? It's like, I mean, you can cut that puppy back. I mean, you can like slaughter that thing. That's why I think it's going to be called crate murders, right? I mean, you can, you can just wipe them down, but then at the bottom of that base, there's always a shoot, multiple shoots that will begin to branch out. It's not part of the original tree, but it's coming from the root in the line. What Jeremiah is saying is like, hey, all these earthly kings out of the line of David are, have been evil, but I still will keep my promise because my promises are always true. But I'm not going to bring it from the line of David himself. I'm going to bring it from the root system, from the ground underneath the ground, and I'm going to bring up a king that is going to be different, and his name is going to be Jehovah Sidkenu. And we have to understand Jehovah, Yahweh is, I am. So this is a messianic prophecy that Jeremiah is speaking 600 years before the birth of Christ. He is saying, behold, the day is coming, Israel. Behold, the day is coming, Judah. Even though you have been unfaithful to my word over and over and over again, despite the fact that I've had to send you into exile, I will not forsake you. I will not forsake you because I am going to raise up a king like no other king, and there will be righteousness, right? He will deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness. It'll be unlike the kings of this earth. This king will be perfectly pure and righteous and holy. In fact, he will have a messianic design. He will literally be God himself. Yahweh, Sikeno, God our righteousness, this king will lead the successful kingdom. The two words, Jehovah Sikeno, simply means this, the eternal, existing, righteous, holy, close God who is perfectly righteous. Righteous comes from the Hebrew word tzedek, which means straight. In other words, he's going to raise up a new king that can't be bent, right? that will never waver. It's where we get in certain passages in Scripture where it talks about a plumb line, where, this is an, where we actually get the measure, where we set everything pure and true. This will be a king where we will never go crooked again. This will be a king that has no wavering or, dis, or dissent in him at all. He's going to raise up this king, the Lord our righteousness. He himself will be Yahweh. Even the Hebrews of that time, the Jews, even believed this to be a Messianic passage. In the Targum, which is an Aramaic paraphrase of the Hebrew Bible, it reads this, the Messiah, our righteousness. Even they understood that one day, God was going to bring a righteous king. A righteous king that would bring them righteous to themselves, that they couldn't do themselves. I mean, Israel tried over and over and over and over and over again to be faithful, didn't they? Does anybody struggle with that? You try over and over and over and over and over again, but yet you still fall. We still fall short. But in this prophecy, Jeremiah is saying, hold on. There's a day coming when I'm going to set up a new kingdom. It is going to be a kingdom like no other. And there will be a king like no other. He will be completely ever-present God in complete righteousness and holiness, and he will lead you perfectly. This revelation tells us that God is going to bring righteousness and proclaim it to us. 
not because of anything that we've done, simply as a gift to us because he sees, right? He's the God that's above all. We've learned that, right? He's the God that sees from the 50,000 foot view that we can't do this on our own. So he is going to send one who will make a way for us. So the revelation from God, this divine selfie is calling us to understand our need for redemption, our need for a savior, our need for a true righteous king, a ruler that sets the principles for all of our lives. We need to understand the reality that God is the standard of our righteousness and without that standard, we will fall short over and over and over again. It's interesting in Proverbs when the Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding. They weren't joking, (laughs) right? When, When we lean on our understanding, meaning our righteousness, our truth, our intellect, our design, our understanding, we will make a mess of everything, amen? Because what seems right in our eyes is not always right. Because you see, our heart is deceitful. Our emotions fluctuate, right? We have to understand that we don't always see the big picture. We don't see that if we step this way, it may affect something that way. God in his righteousness and his standard of straightness understands all things. The word sikeno literally is telling us that we are sending us a king that will make all things right for us. And we can learn a fundamental principle from this period in Israel. The further we depart from God's righteousness, the more we invite decline and degeneration into our life. You see, because God himself is the source of life. His righteousness, his truth, his direction for our life is so that we can have life and have it abundantly. But when we lean on our own understanding, we move further and further and further away from the straight way of God. We may not intentionally do it. We think, man, I'm smart. I've got this all figured out. I know what's best for my wife. I know what's best for my kids. I know what's best for my career. I know, I know, I know, until we find out that we don't really know. We must understand and rely on God's righteousness. See, when you put God on the periphery of life, when you remove him from the core and the reality of who you are, and you deny his truth and his standard, his righteousness, slowly our life begins to deteriorate. We slowly start losing the life of God that's in us. The further we rely on ourselves, the less we rely upon the standard of God. Jehovah, Sikenu, our righteousness. Unfortunately, today we live in a, a world of value clarification. We live in a world of deconstruction of faith. We like to think that we are really creative and elites and creative and noon in all this being and coming and blazing our own path, don't we? But you have to realize that 3,000 years before this day, in Judges chapter 21, 25, we hear these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own 
eyes. You see, when we don't have a king over our lives, Jehovah Sekenu, we will always do what's right in our own eyes, not what's right in God's eyes. We will always defer to selfishness than to the benefit of others. We have to understand that Jehovah Zekanu came to bring righteousness to us, but we want to redefine righteousness all the time, don't we? We want to redefine it. We live in a world that tries to redefine all the objectives and all the standards of reality and truth. And when we do that, what happens is we say, oh, let's let the, let's let the multitude decide, right? It's like majority rules, right? That's, that's fair. Let's let the majority rule, and, and they'll determine what is right. Or then people are like, no, 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 that's not really fair. I should be able to determine what's right for me, and you should be able to determine what's right for you. And then that's right. Because that's truly fair. It's not fair to have an outside objective source and reality of truth shaping and governing our lives. But in this passage, what we see in the failure of Judah and Israel is when we start operating on our own belief systems without God as our structure and righteousness, we too will be sent into exile. Not that God wants us to go there, but we'll walk through ourselves. God wants us to understand the only way that we can stay on the straight path is when we literally understand that He is the straight way. He is the truth. He is the way, he is the life. I know that's not popular and it sounds arrogant and obtuse, but this is what our gospel says, amen? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me, Jesus, not me. Through Jesus, let's make sure that's clear. Jehovah Sekenu, over 600 years before, this, before the birth of Christ, God saw that he would send his one and only son to be our righteousness for us. You see, when we align our lives apart from God, our life will go into destruction. When we align our life with God, it'll lead to life. We see this in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For they shall be what? You see, sometimes... What we think we need is not what we really need. When we start listening to God and he says, this is the truth I want you to live by, sometimes it's painful. Isn't it? Sometimes it doesn't look very appealing. Sometimes it doesn't look like, I really don't want, do I, really? Do you really think that's going to work? I mean, I've seen others try that and I don't know if it really works very well. In our intellect, we sometimes We've got to tell ourselves to get out of the way, don't we? We're not that bright. Amen? I don't want to offend you. I'll just say it for myself, I'm not that bright. And when I let my brilliance lead me, I usually fall short. But I let God lead me, even though I don't see where I need to end up, I always end up where I need to be. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. There will be a peace that we cannot even explain. You see, we have a choice today. We can live with life and blessing, or we can live with this destruction and decay. God gave us a choice, just like he gave the people of Israel, just like he gave the people of Judah a choice. Follow me, 
and I will lead you into all truth. If you don't, you can go your own way. I love you enough to let you go your own way, to experience destruction. So why is there such a need for the Lord, our righteousness? The need for righteousness in our lives might be best explained through this syllogism. Number one, it says this, God is righteous and cannot countenance unrighteousness. Countenance simply means this, can't stomach it, can't tolerate it, will not tolerate it. There has to be a payment for it, right? There are consequences to sin and unrighteousness. And we see this in scripture where Habakkuk 1.13 says this, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He's without sin. So we have a God who cannot countenance unrighteousness. He can't stomach it. Number two, man, because of sin, is not in of himself righteous. So God cannot stomach righteousness. Man in himself is not righteous. We see this in Romans 3.23, for all, everyone has what? Sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Even David in Psalm 51 through 2 bemoans and cries out to God to cover him and to redeem him from his sin. We read this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. It means like wipe it completely out of your memory. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I love how David uses literally three Hebrew words in this one passage to describe sin. And I think the reason he does it is he doesn't want us to have any wiggle room in understanding that we are sinful, right? The first one is this. He says, blot out my transgressions. This is the Hebrew word pesha. The word pesha literally means to rebel or to trespass. You guys know what this is, right? You ever walked up to a trespassing sign, no trespassing sign as a kid? You know what that says to me? <laughs> I'm coming in, right? That's what as a kid, man, is like, I'm going to see if I can do this. I, it's just really a blessing of God that I wasn't caught many times as I was trespassing. But trespassing is a literally intentional sin where we know the truth and we simply just don't care and we're going to do it anyway. Because this is referring to the sin of David with Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba from the roof. He knew it was wrong, but he said, I'm the king. It's good to be the king. Go, right? So he has this transgression. He also talked about his iniquity. The Hebrew word there is avon, which means crooked, twisted, or bent. This is a sin where we rewrite or reinterpret sin in God's law to justify our actions. Because what did David do? He's like, well, if he dies in the war, then she'll need a new husband. It's going to be okay. Hey, I'm a man after God's own heart. This is okay. No. There's a sin where we try to rewrite. We make that which is straight. Remember, righteousness is what? Straight. It's where we take the straightness of God's rule and law for our life and try to bend it and shape it into our own image, where we make God into our image and our likeness rather than God making us into his image. David is saying, please cleanse me from this 
Take this mentality out of my mind and my heart where I won't twist your perfect law. And finally, he says in general sin, you know, please cleanse me from my sin. The hata, the Hebrew word, which means to miss the mark, to fall short. This is these unintentional sins. Have you ever said something you didn't really mean? Anybody? Just me? You ever did something you didn't realize was going to offend somebody? So really what we're seeing in this passage is David saying, I'm just desperate. I don't know a way out. So we've learned that God can't stomach sin. We've learned that man is not righteous in himself. And thirdly and finally, we see this, therefore God, since God cannot countenance sin or look with favor, he cannot look on favor with man. We see in Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he will listen no more. That's depressing. Is that not depressing? Is that not just scary? Because there's not anyone in this room or with anyone with the sound of my voice that can't righteously stand up and say that I have not failed in some way. So we're undone. We're unrighteous. We deserve complete separation from God because He is perfect, straight, holy, just, worthy. But yet, in the midst of this, of Israel and Judah walking away, turning their back away on God, God did not forsake them forever. This is where this prophecy comes forward. And he tells us that I have a solution to the pollution of your sin. I am going to send my son. And he, his new name will be revealed. In verse 6 it says, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. Think about that. No longer do you have to worry about your righteousness. If we are in Christ, then Jesus becomes our righteousness. It is no longer based on our merit or our favor or what we've done or what we haven't done. It's all based on a merciful and caring, loving, gracious God in the midst of a people that choose to rebel and disobey him over and over and over again. He says, pay attention, I'm sending a new king. Will you follow him? The Lord, our righteousness, this name is profoundly significant to our theology, to our gospel, our Christian gospel. It teaches the core of justification. Justification is the theological word that can be defined this way. It's defined as the gracious act of a righteous God, whereby he declares sinners, that's us, just by means of imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he takes God's, his righteousness himself, the straight righteousness, and literally puts it on you. He covers you with it. Think about that. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He sees his son, Jesus, the righteous, the straight, the holy, the anointed one who came to take away all the sins of the world. We see this in Romans 3, 23 through 25. For everyone 
has sinned. We're there. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But circle this if you got this in your Bibles, but yet. Right? Some translations say but. But God. I love these conjunctions, right? But God. It's like, hey, everyone, we're in sin. We don't have a way out. That's why David was crying, Lord, have mercy on me. But God, in his grace, freely makes us what? Right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Not only does he declare us right, he paid the penalty for us to be right. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Now think about this. Remember I told you this prophecy of Jeremiah wasn't for them initially. <laughs> but see, we have to see here he did not punish. He, didn't hold, he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. He sent them into exile. He did not forsake them. He said there's a day coming when my righteousness will be revealed to all people, to all men, to all places of all kinds. Because people are going to be made right when God, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times of past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. Did not, God did not... God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in the sight when they believe in Jesus. I mean, if that doesn't excite you, then nothing will. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is taking our condition of total separation from the glorious nature and presence of God and allowing a redemptive Savior to step in our place and to pay the penalty that we rightfully deserve to pay so that we might have life again, so we might be able to stand in the presence of God without fear, so that we would be made holy. God credited his righteousness to us. Does that excite anybody today? I mean, come on, if I said I was going to deposit $10,000 in your bank account, how many of you would be jumping up right now praising God? Right? $10,000 is nothing compared to what Jesus did for you and for me. He looked at every dirty spot in your life. Every rebellious deed. So I won't forsake you. not leaving you. I love you too much. Now, you can still choose to walk away because we serve a God who does not force himself upon us. We serve a God who intimately gives us every opportunity to yield ourselves to his presence and his power. Jehovah Sekenu, the Lord, our righteousness has come into this world. We know that as we read the Christmas story coming up here, right? When we hear that Jesus 
Emmanuel, God incarnate, came. As you read Matthew chapter one, it talks about that he is what? A descendant of who? Of David. But yet he's not just a descendant of David, he is a descendant of Yahweh, right? He is Yahweh. He is not just any Yahweh, he is Yahweh Sedeknu, the one who is righteous, our righteousness. He would become our righteousness. So today I have a question for you. Can you claim the complete assurance and blessing of Jehovah Sekenu? Can you say that name and know that God has credited righteousness to your account? Are you willing to trust him with every ounce of brokenness that you've had in your past and understand that that brokenness is not greater than the God who is calling your name today? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? Do you believe that God can blot out all your transgressions, all your willful acts of disobedience, God can say, it is gone. As far as the east is to the west, I have made you new. And if you can't say that today, don't leave this place feeling shame or guilt or despair Here in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you that the scripture is very clear. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. (laughs) Not because what you have done, but because God has freely given his son, Jehovah Sekenu, our righteousness, our holiness, to bring us truth, life, and newness.